0: Chapter 6 of A Cathedral Courtship by Kate Douglas Wiggin. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Cathedral Courtship by Kate Douglas Wiggin. Chapter 6 York. He, York, June 26, The Black Swan. Kitty Schuyler is the concentrated essence of feminine witchery, intuition strong, logic weak, and the two qualities so balanced as to produce an indefinable charm, will-power large but docility equal if a man is clever enough to know how to manage her, knowledge of facts absolutely nil, but she is exquisitely intelligent in spite of it. She has a way of evading, escaping, eluding and then gives you an intoxicating hint of sudden and complete surrender. She is divinely innocent, but roguishness saves her from insipidity. Her looks? She looks as you would imagine a person might look who possessed these graces, and she is worth looking at, though every time I do it I have a rush of love to the head. When you find a girl who combines all the qualities you have imagined in the ideal, and who has added a dozen or two on her own account, Merely to distract you past all hope, why stand up and try to resist her charm? Down on your knees like a man, say I. I'm getting to adore Aunt Cecilia. I didn't care for her at first, but she is so deliciously blind. Anything more exquisitely unserviceable as a chaperone I can't imagine. Absorbed in antiquity, she ignores the babble of contemporaneous lovers that any man could look at kitty when he could look at a cathedral passes her comprehension i do not presume too greatly on her absent-mindedness however lest she should turn unexpectedly and rend me i always remember that inscription on the backs of the little mechanical french toys qu'en elles sont très solidement montées il faut ne pas brutaliser la machine and so my courtship progresses under aunt cecilia's very nose I say progresses, but it is impossible to speak with any certainty of courting, for the essence of that gentle craft is hope, rooted in labour and trained by love. I set out to propose to her during service this afternoon by writing my feelings on the fly-leaf of the hymn-book, or something like that, but I knew that Aunt Cecilia would never forgive such blasphemy, and I thought that Kitty herself might consider it wicked. Besides, if she should chance to accept me, There is nothing i could do in a cathedral to relieve my feelings no if she ever accepts me i wish it to be in a large vacant spot of the universe peopled by two only and those two so indistinguishably blended as it were that they would appear as one to the casual observer so i practiced repression though the wall of my reserve is worn to the thinness of thread paper and i tried to keep my mind on the droning minor cannon AND NOT TO LOOK AT HER, FOR THAT WAY MADNESS LIES. SHE York, June twenty-eighth, High Petergate Street My taste is so bad! I just begin to realize it, and I am feeling my growing pains, like Gwendolen and Daniel Deronda. I admired the stained glass in the Lincoln Cathedral the other day, especially the Nuremberg window. I thought Mr. Copley looked pained, but he said nothing. When I went to my room, I consulted a book and found that all the glass in that cathedral is very modern and very bad, and the Nuremberg window is the worst of all. Aunt Cecilia says she hopes that it will be a warning to me to read before I speak, but Mr. Copley says no, that the world would lose more in one way than it would gain in the other. I tried my quotations this morning, and stuck fast in the middle of the first. Mr. Copley thinks I have been feeing the vergers too liberally so I wrote a song about it called The Ballad of the Vergers and the Foolish Virgin, which I sang to my guitar. Mr. Copley thinks it is cleverer than anything he ever did with his pencil. Of course, he says that only to be agreeable. But really, whenever he talks to me in that way, I can almost hear myself purring with pleasure. We go to two services a day in the Minster and sometimes I sit quite alone in the nave drinking in the music as it floats out from behind the choir-screen. The litany and the commandments are so beautiful heard in this way, and I never listen to the fresh, young voices chanting, Write all these thy laws in our hearts, we beseech thee, without wanting passionately to be good. I love, too, the joyful burst of music in the te thou didst open the kingdom of heaven to all believers i like the word all it takes in foolish me as well as wise aunt cecilia and yet with all its pomp and magnificence the service does not help me quite so much nor stir up the deep places in me so quickly as dear old dr kyle's simpler prayers and talks in the village meeting-house where i went as a child mr copley has seen it often and made a little picture of it for me, with its white steeple and the elm-tree branches hanging over it. If I ever have a husband I should wish him to have memories like my own. It would be very romantic to marry an Italian marquis or Hungarian count, but must it not be a comfort to two people to look back on the same past? We all went to an evening service last night. It was an occasion, and a famous organist played the minster organ. I wonder why choir boys are so often playful and fidgety and uncanonical in their behavior. Does the choirmaster advertise naughty boys preferred, or do musical voices commonly exist in unregenerate bodies with all the opportunities they must have outside of the cathedral to exchange those objects of beauty and utility usually found in boys' pockets? There is seldom a service where they do not barter pen-knives, old coins, or tops. "'generally during the Old Testament reading. "'A dozen little black-surpliced probationers "'sit together in a seat just beneath the choir-boys, "'and one of them spent his time this evening "'in trying to pull a loose tooth from its socket. "'The task not only engaged all his own powers, "'but made him the centre of attraction "'for the whole probationary row. "'Coming home, Aunt Cecilia walked ahead with Mrs. Benedict, "'who keeps turning up at the most unexpected moments.' She's going to build a gothic memorial chapel somewhere, and is making studies for it. I don't like her in the least, but four is certainly a more comfortable number than three. I scarcely ever have a moment alone with Mr. Copley, for go where I will and do what I please. As Aunt Cecilia has the most perfect confidence in my indiscretion, she is always en avidance. Just as we were turning into the quiet little street where we are lodging, I said, "'Oh, dear, I wish that I really knew something about architecture.' "'If you don't know anything about it, you are certainly responsible for a good deal of it,' said Mr. Copley. "'I? How do you mean?' I asked quite innocently, because I couldn't see how he could twist such a remark into anything like sentiment. "'I have never built so many castles in my life as since I have known you, Miss Schuyler. He said, "'Oh,' I answered as lightly as I could, "'air-castles don't count. "'The building of air-castles is an innocent amusement enough, "'I suppose,' he said, "'but I'm committing the folly of living in mine. "'I—' "'Then I was frightened. "'When, all at once, you find you have something precious "'that you only dimly suspected was to be yours, "'you almost wish it hadn't come so soon.' but just at that moment mrs benedict called to us and came tramping back from the gate and hooked her supercilious patronizing arm in mr copley's and asked him into the sitting-room to talk over the lady chapel in her new memorial church then aunt cecilia told me they would excuse me as i had had a wearisome day and there was nothing for me to do but to go to bed like a snubbed child and wonder if i should ever know the end of that sentence and i listened at the head of the stairs shivering but all that i could hear was that mrs benedict asked mr copley to be her own architect her architect indeed that woman ought not to be at large so rich and good-looking and unconscientious he york july five i had just established myself comfortably near miss van Tick's hotel and found a landlady after my own heart in mrs pickles Number six, Micklegate, when Miss Van Tick, aided and abetted, I fear, by the romantic Miss Schuyler, elected to change her quarters, and I, of course, had to change too. Mine is at present a laborious, but not unpleasant, life. The causes of Miss Schuyler's removal, as I have been given to understand by the lady herself, were some particularly pleasing window-boxes in a lodging in High Petergate Street boxes overflowing with pink geraniums and white field-daisies. No one, she explains, could have looked at this house without desiring to live in it, and when she discovered, during a somewhat exhaustive study of the premises, that the maid's name was Susan Strangeways, and that she was promised in marriage to a brewer's apprentice called Sourbutt, she went back to her conventional hotel and persuaded her aunt to remove without delay. If Miss Shirely were offered a room at the Punchbowl Inn in Gillygate and a suite at the Grand Royal Hotel in Broad Street, she would choose the former unhesitatingly. Just as she refused refreshment at the best caterers this afternoon and dragged Mrs. Benedict and me into the little snug, where an alluring sign over the door announced a homely cup of tea for twopence, but she would outgrow all that, or if she didn't, I have common sense enough for two. "'or if I hadn't, I shouldn't care a hang. "'Is it not a curious dispensation of providence that, "'just when Aunt Cecilia is confined to her room with a cold, "'Mrs. Benedict should join our party and spend her days in our company? "'She drove to the Merchant's Hall and the Cavalry Barracks with us. "'She walked on the city walls with us. "'She even dared the homely tea at the Little Snug. "'And at that moment I determined I wouldn't build her memorial church for her.' even at a most princely profit. On crossing the Lendal Bridge we saw the river, Ouse, running placidly through the town, and a lot of little green boats moored at a landing-stage. "'How delightful it would be to row for an hour!' exclaimed Miss Schuyler. "'Oh, do you think so? In those tippy boats on a strange river?' remonstrated Mrs. Benedict. The moment I suspected she was afraid of the water, I lured her to the landing-stage and engaged a boat. "'It's a pity that that large flat one has a leak. Otherwise it would have held three nicely. But I dare say we can be comfortable in one of the little ones,' I said doubtfully. "'Shan't we be too heavy for it?' Mrs. Benedict inquired timidly. "'Oh, I don't think so. We'll get in and try it. If we find it sinks under our weight we won't risk it,' I replied.' spurred on by such twinkles in Miss Schuyler's eyes as blinded me to everything else. "'I really don't think your aunt would like you to venture, Miss Schuyler said the Marplot. "'Oh, as to that, she knows I am accustomed to boating,' replied Miss Schuyler. "'And Miss Schuyler is such an excellent swimmer,' I added. Whereupon the Marplot and Killjoy remarked that if it were a question of swimming she should prefer to remain at home.' as she had large responsibilities devolving upon her, and her life was in a sense not her own to fling away as she might like. I assured her solemnly that she was quite, quite right, and pushed off before she could change her mind. After a long interval of silence Miss Schuyler observed in the voice, accompanied by the smile and the glance of the eye, that did for me the moment I was first exposed to them. "'You oughtn't have said that about my swimming.' because I can't a bit, you know. I was justified. I answered gloomily. I have borne too much to-day, and if she had come with us and had fallen overboard, I might have been tempted to hold her down with the oar. Whereupon Miss Shirether gave way to such wholehearted mirth that she nearly upset the boat. I almost wish she had. I want to swim, sink, die, or do any other mortal thing for her. WE HAD A HEAVENLY HOUR. IT WAS ONLY AN HOUR, BUT IT WAS THE FIRST TIME I HAVE HAD ANY REAL CHANCE TO DIRECT HOT SHOT AT THE WALLS OF THE MAIDEN CASTLE. I REGRET TO STATE THAT THEY STOOD REMARKABLY FIRM. OF COURSE, I DON'T WISH TO BATTER THEM DOWN. I WANT THEM TO MELT UNDER THE WARMTH OF MY ATTACK. SHE. YORK. JULY FIVE. WE HAD A LOVELY SAIL ON THE RIVER, OOZE, THIS AFTERNOON. Mrs. Benedict was timid about boating, and did not come with us. As a usual thing, I hate a cowardly woman, but her lack of courage is the nicest trait in her whole character. I might almost say the only nice trait. Mr. Copley tried in every way, short of asking me a direct question, to find out whether I had received the marked copy of Persuasion in Bath, but I evaded the point. Just as we were at the door of my lodging, and he was saying good-bye, I couldn't resist the temptation of asking. Why, before you knew us at all, did you put Miss Van Tick, reserved, on the window of the railway carriage at Bath? He was embarrassed for a moment, and then he said, Well, she is, you know, if you come to that, and, besides, I didn't dare tell the guard the placard I really wanted to put on i shouldn't think a lack of daring your most obvious fault i said cuttingly perhaps not but there are limits to most things and i hadn't the pluck to paste on a pink paper with miss schuyler engaged on it he disappeared suddenly just then as if he was not equal to facing my displeasure and i am glad he did for i was too embarrassed for words memoranda in the height of roofs nave and choir, York is the first of English cathedrals. End of chapter 6